0: Yo, what's up guys, we're back with another episode of Primal Alchemy's Red Pill Initiation Hour, here with your host, Chris Storey. Now guys, a few things to touch base on before we kick today's episode off. For you returning listeners, you know that I love every little bit of feedback that you give me, be it good, bad, shit or ugly. Anything you give to me means the world, so please drop me some love, drop me some hate, just let me know what you think, So if you can hit me up on Primal Alchemy UK on Instagram, or if you can drop me a review on iTunes, that really would mean the world for being able to increase the exposure and visibility of the podcast and get this message out there to more people. And as a way of saying thank you to you guys, I always drop you an exclusive 10% discount code. That's the code REDPILL that's the code Pill. that when used at checkout on primalalchemy.co.uk, you'll get an exclusive 10% discount off anything in your shopping basket. So if you're brand new to the Primal Alchemy brand, this is your perfect opportunity to jump on board the hype train, check out our flagship Vitruvian Protein, which is an organic whey protein superfood blend forged with organic, adaptogenic, nootropic and prebiotic herbs, flavoured with Crayola Cacao, which is the highest grade cacao in the world and expertly formulated to give you everything you need to maximize your physical, mental and spiritual capabilities. If you're not on the market for a dope as fuck health supplement, then why not check out our Ancestral Potential Coaching Plans. This is to give you the opportunity to work with me one-to-one. We have our exercise we have our nutrition, we have our enlightened biohacking plans available for you. So there's something to cater for any goals that you may have moving into spring of 2019. All right, so moving on to the today's episode, guys. Today's guest is Dr. Jacob Lieberman. Now, Dr. Jacob Lieberman is a pioneer in the field of light, vision, and consciousness. I came across his book a few years ago when I was at university the book called light medicine of the future and what this focuses on is the study of phototherapy in how light and consciousness affect us on a cellular level and all cellular organisms for that matter and jacob is an interesting character because he was a optometrist and vision scientist and managed to cure his own um his own eyesight issues back in, I believe, like, the 70s, 1976 or so. And he has some really far-out esoteric um, beliefs when it comes to what the real nature of light is. And um, This is what we explored in the podcast. We explored how light is the true emanation of life force energy here in the universe, and what light really is. That's on a esoteric and exoteric um, explanation of that. And yeah, how we can all really optimize our life through basically increasing the light that we're exposed to. And I really enjoyed this one. Uh, Jacob is a... he's a sage. He is. He's been... He's been through it in this life and he's come out the other side and he has some deep, insightful wisdom to share with us all. And I really enjoyed this. He he has a heart of gold and you're you're picking up very quickly in the way that he talks. He is um, he's he's in this for love and he's in this to share love. He's not in this for fame, credit, to stroke the ego. He's in this to save the world. And that's exactly the type of people that I want to uh communicate with to associate with and to grow with i've learned a lot in this uh in this podcast of jacob and definitely appreciated his his um his kindness to share an hour or so of his time with me so yeah guys hopefully you enjoy this one a lot to gain from it and again just let me know what you think after the podcast drop me the message on instagram itunes would be ideal and yeah
1: so below what lies without resides within time for growth to begin mental physical and spiritual we find balance with all three as we focus on totality the whole not the half this is for those on the spiritual path Looking for the clues to the answers of life But the truth ain't always nice So leave your ego at the door Let your inner lion roar And your spirit soar As we go deep down to the molecular level Tap into the body with some yogic breath Throw in some calisthenics for a true strength test Like the shamans of old We use the nature to heal With a little bit of DMT to reveal This whole life journey is a little surreal And your mind needs a leader Not a follower in life Let your mind be the master And, and you, you pay a hefty price. price This next 60 minutes is about self. Mastery, it's not an easy path, and it's a lifelong journey. But we're up to a power with this red pill initiation hour. With this red pill initiation hour, brought to you by Prima Open Me. The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth.
2: And we're live, guys. We're back with episode thirty-one of the Red Pill Initiation Hour. Oof, this one's big, guys. This one's big. We got a special guest on, indeed, someone who has been a unknown mentor to me for quite some time, dating back to maybe before I was even at university. Probably when I was at college, just discovering this uh this sort of information that we're going to be discussing today, and. Yeah, I mean, I just want to jump straight into it. So I want to give a warm welcome to the truth-seeking sage, the white hat wizard of light himself. we got Dr. Jacob Lieberman. Jacob, thanks for coming on. It's, uh,
3: it's a pleasure to be here today. As I look out my window, and I live in Maui, Hawaii, I have a feeling the weather in the UK and the weather in Maui is the same <laughs> today. Sort of gray. <laughs>
2: Your intuition may be slightly off, Jacob. I think the weather here is completely different to Maui. I think it's uh, pretty terrible here, as as per usual. But, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit jealous of you being over there. It seems to be that Maui does definitely attract some uh, interesting yeah. characters. A lot of the people yes. that I'm uh, trying to reach out to and get onto this show, they all seem to be in Maui. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, this, that's a magical <laughs> island you've got there. <laughs>
3: As they say, here today, come to here today, gone to Maui. I'm
2: <laughs> gonna <laughs> have to get myself out there, Jacob. One day, it seems it really does seem that that's the case. And in, in fact, it's a little just a branch off quickly. Um, I used to work on a cruise ship as a uh-huh. personal trainer, and obviously around the around Hawaii, around the islands, that it's got it's quite the uh, the route for a lot of cruise ships. And right. I went on a world tour on one of the ships I was on. And one of the rare places I haven't been is Hawaii. And I was, I was meant to go there. It was on the itinerary. But there was an issue with a storm that we ran into out in the Pacific. And we had to pull back. And I never got to go. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's destined for me to appear sometime in the future.
3: Just two flights. just Heathrow to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Maui. It's a long time, Jake. That's <laughs> that's longer than it hey, sounds. You know, no, no one said fun would be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
2: Jacob, thank you again for coming on. Um, sure. For everyone that's listening that may not be too familiar with what you're about, who you are, how you become the the grand wizard that you are today, could you give uh could you give us a little bit of a rundown about who Doctor Jacob Lieberman is?
3: First of all, let me begin by just sharing with you that um, I'm just an ordinary person just like you. And um, the longer that I live, the more I realize how little I know <clears throat> and how much there is to see. Um, I started out um, as a competitive athlete as a young kid. I um, at the age of 15, I was invited to run against the fastest man in the world to give you a sense of the level of, of uh, competition that I was engaged in at that point. And um, so I, I tapped in very, very young into something that I didn't know how to speak about but it was almost like there was a guidance mechanism. For instance, as a sprinter, as a runner, especially short distance, your start is critical. And I always could hear, at that time when you were in a foot race, they used the gun to start. And I could always hear the gun going off before the gun went off. And because of that, I had an incredible start. I was always two or three yards in front of the other runners by the time the gun went off. It was a special level of synchronicity that I didn't know how to explain. I never false started as a runner. But I had an amazing, an amazing start. and. That allowed me to realize that sometimes we can hear something that hasn't occurred. Sometimes we can see something that hasn't yet appeared. And the years as an athlete early in life, eventually I became an eye doctor and didn't realize at the time that I was being guided to go into that because part of my destiny was to uncover the source of our seeing. What is it within our humanity that is noticing all that is? Is that really the eyes? Is it the mind? Is it something totally different? And I had a series of rather profound incidences. Uh, In the early 70s, I um, was turned on to doing some vision exercises or vision training, and in a matter of a couple of months, I was transformed from a very average student who had incredible lifelong difficulties learning and reading uh, into a Dean's List student at the top of my class. Five years after, in 1976, I had a very profound and miraculous experience during a meditative experience where my eyesight improved 300% instantaneously after wearing glasses for nine and a half years. What was really profound about this is my eyesight changed dramatically, but there were no changes to my eyes. In other words, When the eye doctor that I went to examined my eyes, the prescription was the same, even though I could see much clearer. I couldn't explain it at the time because I was led to believe we see with our eyes. But that change that occurred in 1976 has remained through today. I'm 71 and a half years old. I've never had a pair of glasses for reading distance or any purpose. Since that day. Why am I sharing this with you? Because those are direct experiences. Those are not things that you read about and you either believe or disbelieve. This is a level of truth beyond opinion. This is something that occurred that was so profound and that has lasted now for 42 years that I know in my core something occurred, whether I understand it, whether I can explain it, it doesn't make a difference whether anyone believes it or disbelieves it. It's something that really transformed my life. And that's the power of having a direct experience. It allowed me to realize that one profound change can occur without doing anything because that's the way it occurred with me. It doesn't require working on things specifically or doing this or doing that. Sometimes just the act of being allows something profound to come through us. And that's what I took away from that. And I realized that that experience for me had something to do with what people call spontaneous remission. Sometimes you have individuals that have serious disorders like cancer or different kinds of problems and seemingly they disappear even though we don't understand how that occurs and that is a medically confirmed um condition that has occurred throughout the world for many different kinds of disorders and so I realized when that happened with my vision I had experienced something of a spontaneous remission that allowed me to realize and start looking at what is it that occurs in our life that causes us to take a a situation of ease that all of a sudden becomes a situation of dis-ease. In other words, if we can have spontaneous remissions where we experience healing, we can also have spontaneous exacerbations. What is it that occurs inside that actually makes things uh, get worse, if you will? So my past is that I'm trained uh, as an eye doctor and a vision scientist. I come from a scientific background, but I've always been Sensitive, highly, highly intuitive. And so my life's work has been about merging what you might call science and knowing. Some people would call it science and spirituality, but spirituality is a loaded word. People hear that word and they say, oh, that's woo woo, that's this or that. Spirituality is just the aspect of life that we have yet to uncover, that we are not able to see with our senses. For instance, everyone knows that a tree uh, is not just the part you see above the ground. Three quarters of the tree is totally invisible. It's the root system. And yet the root system is what nourishes the tree, stabilizes it, keeps it intact, and so on. Everything has an unseen root system, if you will, and spirituality is the word we use to try to speak about something that we don't know how to speak about. So you could say that science is the search for the spiritual aspects of life. And once we uncover them, we say, oh, now they're known. Except science deals in theories, not facts. And so everything in science is continually evolving, continually changing, which means that theory, concept, idea, thought, and belief deal with things that are changing. What my work has been about and what my life has been about is truth. Truth actually means the opposite of belief, the opposite of concept or theory. So what I have been uh, working with, experiencing through many of the things that I've shared, is a state that's not changing. And once we gain an awareness of something about the source of our seeing more and more of our life occurs within that state. And so that's, um, sort of a long response to a short question.
2: (laughs) No, it's, it's fascinating and, uh, a lot to take on board and, um, one of the directions I wanted to take this in, Jacob, was uh, obviously your kind of expertise within light itself. And I've heard you say that light is misunderstood. Like our perception of light is generally down to brightness and color, right. but that's not really what light is. And it's interesting because you've been in this game for a long time now, saying the same sort of message for a long time, and now we've within the specific realm of um the health industry biohacking which i'm kind of from uh that that's really the the buzzword right now it's all to do with quantum health it's all to do with light with photons it's all to do with um yeah the the work of uh Fritz Albert Pop with biophotons looking at the interaction of light particles within the system quantum biology everything like that but you've been on this uh, you've been on this light hype for a long time now and it's uh it's interesting to see that how everything seems to go full circle because it's obviously before yourself <clears throat> you there was you date back a few thousand years and sages of the ancient world were saying the exact same thing you look into sacred texts and they were saying the exact same thing and then it takes a little bit of a while before uh for whatever the the power the authoritative paradigm of the time is to kind of voice that uh, truth across before it really begins to pick up and for a long time science wasn't interested in that they, they were interested in the m- more material pursuits but right. now that they've we're starting to get the equipment in order to um in order to dig a little bit deeper and sort of peek behind the veil we're uh, we're starting to really take note of what the power of light is and how it affects us and what we really are, in our essence, is beings of light. And, and yeah, I, I want you to jump straight into it, Jacob, because you can explain this so well. And I'd love for you to be able to just break this down, get the
3: truth going. I think what's important is, is that we speak in common sense so that we're not dealing with theories, but we're dealing with facts. When we look around, we realize something very profound. Everything is light-dependent. Now, when I was a kid and growing up, we knew that that was a fact about plants. We knew that plants could not live without light. Just put a plant in the closet. It'll wilt. Put it under different sorts of light that, that are different from natural daylight, and you affect every function of the plant. So we know that a plant is married to light. In fact, when the light, when the sun rises, the plant literally turns itself to be in the optimal position to receive that light. So everyone understands that. What very few people realize is that every function of our humanity and every function of an animal's life is also light dependent. Now, when we think of light, we immediately think of our eyes. Ah, we see because of light. That's just a, a drop in the bucket. The reality of the situation is that every cell in our body, every cell of a plant's body, every cell of an animal's body has eyes. It has photoreceptors that are specifically designed to detect and respond to light. So why do we have that? If you ever notice an animal in the wild in the summertime, um, the animal's coat may be short because it's very warm, there's a lot of light outside, it doesn't need a lot of protection. But as the season changes toward winter, you notice that an animal's skin begins to thicken. They begin to develop more hair. And so the first day that there's a snowfall, The animal doesn't wake up and say, oh my God, I forgot to buy an overcoat. The animal is in perfect relationship with life. Their body has gradually adjusted physiologically so that as the cold weather comes in, they are in relationship with that in the same way as they were the day before, the month before, the year before that. What I'm saying is, that the reason our cells are continually responding to light is because they use that guidance, that information, to continually harmonize themselves with Mother Nature. And this is occurring way before we are ahead of it, before we're aware of it. So you see, the primary purpose of light is to upgrade the software of our humanity so that we're in continual, harmonious relationship with Mother Nature. What's an example of that? You want to fly to Hawaii. You get on a flight at Heathrow. You fly to Los Angeles. You get to Los Angeles 11 hours later, and you, even though you're glad to be there, you notice you feel out of sorts. You're eating at times when you normally wouldn't eat. You're falling asleep when you normally would be awake. You, want to, you need to use the restroom at times you normally wouldn't. What's going on? Well, everyone knows it's called jet lag. And you spend a few days and you adjust. Sometimes the jet, because the jet lag, because you're out of sync With the lighted environment, you actually sometimes feel like, am I coming down with something? Am I getting a cold or something? Jet lag allows us to realize very quickly what happens when we're out of sync with Mother Nature. But fortunately, with a short period of time, within days or a week, we adjust. Most of us are chronically jet lagged even though we haven't taken a trip because we're living life according to ideas about life rather than according to the actual laws of nature. What I've come to realize is what's natural most of the time has nothing to do with what we call normal. So we're all living normal lives, but we have huge amounts of cancer and other diseases and, Problems with communicating and all kinds of things because we're out of sync with what's going on in life. So, what is the importance of this to our listeners? Our cells know what they need to do for for the weather that will be approaching tomorrow. But they know it way in advance. Most of us think we're running the show, we're making choices, we're making decisions, we're doing this, we're doing that. But when you look at what's actually going on in the brain, you realize that when we think we have used our, quote, free will to decide something, our brain was already there seven to 10 seconds before. We weren't even aware of it, but the decision had already been made. So what is it that's making the decision? Is it us? Or is it the intelligence of life, the animating force of life, that has to keep everything together? The movement of the planets around the sun, the movement of the tides, the changes of the season, the beating of your heart, what's breathing you? The same animating force is moving all of that. Why is this important? When we begin to realize that we are continually being guided by what catches our eye, not only our physical eye, but the eyes of all of ourselves, then we begin to become aware of things that prior to that time we didn't pay any attention to. I'll give you a beautiful example. Three days ago, we got an incredible storm in Maui. It was totally unexpected in terms of how forceful it was. The wind was really strong. The rain was really strong. I was driving up my road after going out to have breakfast, and I got up the road about a mile, and it's about three miles to my home, and all of a sudden, I get a flash of a tree in the road. Now there's no tree in the road. It just sort of was like a, a flash of insight, if you will. I'm looking, I'm looking, there's a lot of debris on the road because of the strong wind, but there's no tree. I keep driving, boom, all of a sudden, there's a huge tree on the road. There- There's cars nobody can get through. We all get out. We start taking off the limbs, cutting things down, moving it so we can get through. I get to my house, and normally my wife and I park our cars in a certain spot. I park it there, and immediately something backs my car out and moves it further that way. And I realize something I sensed felt my car needed to be somewhere else. My wife got home. She parks her car where she normally does, next to mine, but mine wasn't there. And as soon as she gets in, I say to her, you need to move your car. She says, why? I just have a feeling you need to move your car next to mine. Two hours later, we're dealing with water coming in under the glass doors because the the rain is so strong. We're on the floor mopping up water, and we hear a huge thump. Two trees, 125 feet tall, both fell from the neighbor's yard across the street on top of all the power lines, exactly where our cars are normally parked, across the entire yard, and just blocked the road take all the power down and everything now why am i sharing this because all of these ideas are interesting but it's how they impact our lives that's really important how they how they influence our ability to perform whether it is in sports in the classroom, in the world, in our relationships, in every way. When we are able to notice not what we're looking for, but what's looking for us, it can transform our lives. Now, I don't know where these flashes come from, has nothing to do with me. I cannot make it happen. But I become very aware when things enter my awareness because they are very different than the self-generated chatter that most of us experience throughout our day. In other words, what's coming to us rather than from us? And Those examples I just gave you, which occurred just three days ago. And both of our cars would have been crushed if they were sitting there. It stopped me in my tracks. Each time something like this happens, I say, oh, my God. It's just absolutely profound that all of. Just as a plant's life is totally guided by light, so are we. Every aspect, not only of our physiology, but the reason most of us think our eyes look for things. Actually, the eyes don't move until light catches their attention. And then the eye moves toward the light that is calling to it. And then the body reorients itself to attend or be present with that which has reached out to us. Why? Because that's the next step of our life. That's the next piece of our life's curriculum. So when we begin to attend to the light that catches our eyes, we notice that that light is illuminating our life's journey. And is guiding us toward the fulfillment, the fulfillment of our reason for being, just like a plant, an apple tree, fulfills its purpose by creating apples and growing toward the light, each of us has a purpose. You have a purpose, not just maybe as a competitive athlete or someone that's interested in nutrition, but you have a real. Important job here. You're a messenger. You're here to share something that has really turned you on. Oh my God, most important thing. Well, when we become sensitive to what's looking for us, we then begin to notice what our life's work is about. And then it's not about a job, it's about excitement. It's about passion. And then something very profound happens. Our body may be here longer, but we don't get old. We just keep getting more excited.
2: Mm, yeah. I love it. It's very profound. Everything you say, Jacobs, like resonates on like a real deep core level. And uh one of the things that it just makes me like makes me think about is just to kind of tie in with what you were saying is obviously with the quantum perspective of time is that it's not linear in that the past present and future are like they exist simultaneously and do you think light with with is like the medium that connects that and that light itself being information like you've got a lot of scientists now that they want to be able to they believe they can encode infinite amounts of information within light itself within light particles and uh is this how we gain our insight is this how we gain true sight through like you said the eyes in ourselves our third eye our two eyes is it this light, this sort of governing force of light that allow that when we are open to see it, just as Da Vinci said, there are three type of people: those that are those that can see, those that see when they are shown, and those that don't see. If you have these eyes, these quote unquote eyes, open to see the light, is that what gives you these sort of mystical abilities of like clairvoyance of where you can see into the future? You can have these insights that like you like you said then it's uh that allow you to yeah that, that 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 allow that allow you these extra sort of these supernatural abilities
3: yes and there's nothing actually to do mm-hmm. let me see if i can share that everything we're looking for in what we call the future is already here in the now. And it's has been here from the beginning in the past. That's why the three are the same. The past, present, and the future are actually one. Let me see if I can explain. In the 1600s, a, um, a mathematician named Fermat uncovered something rather profound. He noticed then when, that when light was traveling from one place to another, it always got there in the least amount of time. In other words, light never takes a circuitous route. It always hits the bullseye. Now, why is that important? A hundred and something years after Fermat, another gentleman whose name I cannot remember right now, noticed that animals in nature and humans, when they have to get somewhere, they always get there in the least amount of time. That people living in nature they seem to know without knowing that something, that they have a built-in GPS. And, I mean, there's no way for us to develop a technology called a GPS unless we ourselves have a GPS inside. If we don't have the ability to sense things Before we can see them, we would have never developed radar technology or any sort of technology. It must reside within our own humanity for us even to be able to see it as a possibility to develop as an external technology. So why am I sharing about Fermat and his discovery and creatures? We run on light. You mentioned Fritz Popp, who I knew rather well while he was alive. And uh, Fritz was dealing with the light signals that are communicating, the communicating system between all of our cells, what he called biophotons, the light that our body creates in the process of its functioning, if you will. The, uh, uh, David Bohm, the renowned theoretical uh, physicist, quantum physicist, before he pay, passed away, he said, all matter is frozen light. Everything that we think of as solid is actually made up of energy. Now, you hear that a lot today, but what the hell does that actually mean? It's made up of energy. Well, if you look at energy, at certain levels, you can see something moving, but if you keep magnifying, you come to nothing, which means that everything comes from no thing, which is what light is. Light is totally invisible. You cannot see light. It responds as if it knows everything, is everywhere, all at the same time. It's a very... Light is not a thing. Light is the fundamental energy from where all things emerge. How that alchemical process occurs, we don't really, really know. but. It's incredibly, incredibly profound how we are impacted by this light. And this is why when people awaken to this level of truth, we say, oh, they are enlightened. They are illuminated. Why? And why do they appear to have halos around their heads? because they literally shine. They become holographic focal points of light, just like little suns. They seem to be very bright, which is what happens when we're healthy and happy. People say, oh, you look so bright today. It's because literally light is being given off. So light is something very, very profound. It is the formless essence from where all form actually emerges. And this is not a a new thing. If you're looking at things from a religious perspective, you go to the Bible, and the Bible says that the creative force that they term as God is light. If you look at the spiritual text, the creative force, which they refer to as consciousness, they refer to as light. You go to a physicist and you say, what's the fundamental energy that underlies everything? And they say, oh, that's the energy of light. So regardless of how you're viewing it, you end up in exactly the same place. Now, why is this important, and how, how do the people listening to our conversation today, how do they know when this is going on, because people talk about expanding consciousness and awareness and all of that, and all of that sounds interesting, but we think that that's somebody sitting cross-legged in a cave in India and that they got there because they practice yoga and meditation and eat as a vegan or don't eat at all. or We have all of these interesting ideas, but my sense is it's actually quite simple and doesn't have a whole lot to do with that. You and I saw each other for the first time about 45 minutes ago. We had never met. We had never spoken. You thought you knew a little bit about me. I only knew something about your emails that were forwarded to me. But we had no idea what would happen today. And yet, in almost no time at all, we were in sync. We seemed to merge. And whatever was going on in your life before 45 minutes ago, and whatever was going on in my life back then ceased to exist. Any concern you may have had, maybe you had a thought of, oh, am I going to have enough money to pay that bill? Or, gee, my stomach was upset. Or I'm having a relational issue. And yet, when this merging occurs, we seem to forget all of our troubles. Now, people, everyone listening can relate to that if you've fallen in love. You connect with someone, be it an intimate partner, a business associate, or just a good pal, and you come together, <clears throat> and even though you may never have met before, almost immediately you come together and the two become one. And when that happens, everything seems to be expanded. It's like we are transported to a different place where we are like focused without focusing on anything. We are like present, but without any effort at all. Everything is accessible to us when it is needed, but without any effort, without any work, without anything. We're there. You can call that love. But when that merging occurs, when those two resonant frequencies come together because the two beings generating these frequencies are birds of a feather, something magical occurs and we are instantaneously transported into a place where there are no problems, no issues, no questions, nothing to be concerned about. What am I sharing with you? When we connect with like-hearted individuals, we immediately are transported to that place where our maximum potential begins to expand, and we uncover what is always there. You see, just as light gets to its destination in the shortest period of time, all of the functions of the body are not only light-dependent, but are actions of light, of bio-photons, which get there in the least amount of time. What does that mean? It means that our natural state is our maximum potential. It means that we cannot do it better through trying, nor can we do it less. The whole idea that, oh, you're not trying hard enough, or you're doing it less than you should be doing it, sounds good. But there's no basis, in fact. In any given moment, we are our maximum potential. In every second that follows, there is more because we experience more both consciously and most of it unconsciously. And we are continually growing. Most of what goes on in our life and when I say most, I'm being, uh, I'm sort of being subtle because probably the real statement is all that's going on in our lives, we're totally unaware of. It's all going on under the surface. Very little of it are we aware of. And of course, often we say, well, we need to make the subconscious conscious. The reason these functions, Are what we call unconscious activities is they're designed that way. They're designed to be under the radar because you could say that that's the great mystery of what is causing everything to function as harmoniously as it does. It's the miracle of life. So it is designed to be outside of our awareness. And yet at the same time, it is designed to continually remind us that all of life is a miracle. Because I don't know how the hell we got into such an incredibly interesting conversation. I'm glued to the, to the monitor right now. I have no idea how we got here. I have no idea what is actually coming through me. See, all of us living under the illusion that we're talking. But if you've ever seen like a puppet that is being moved, they look like they're moving or walking, but then you notice there's a hand above with some strings, little strings that you can't see that's actually moving it. Well, there's an animating force that is moving all that exists. The air, our hearts, the breathing mechanism, all of that. And that's actually innervating what we call speech. It's not us talking. It's our purpose for being channeling through us. And that's not a word I use very often. But I don't know what's speaking me right now. I don't know, you know, interesting questions came to you rather than from you. They came through you and then whatever generated those interesting questions is now generating these interesting answers. They have nothing to do with you or me. One moment, I become the mouth of the animating force and you're the ear, and then something switches and you become the mouth of the animating force and I but become the ear, and we call this the conversation. I guess what I'm sharing is we're living in a miraculous universe. We're living in a very profound time where we see the world in havoc and in the midst of that havoc we're having this very exciting conversation at least it's exciting to me it's almost like I'm sort of listening to something and saying oh my god how did I get invited to this (laughs) so I think that's I think that's what really turns us on, is having these interesting opportunities to connect, to merge, not only to experience the profoundness of the message that funnels through all of our humanities, but to experience that state of merging where you disappear as an individual, I disappear as an individual, and then something else. Comes in that we can call oneness or non duality or source or whatever you wish to call it because it has no name. Anyway, I'm out of words. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, was, that was quite the explanation, Jacob. It was, um, and it's, yeah, again, ever fascinating and it does really just, like you said, it just sucks you in it's like when you have when you're having this sort of conversation and these sort of words and um di- dialogues going back and forth it's it really does make you connect and everything else just seems irrelevant all of the yeah. shit that was going on before i uh, before i got on with you be that in my life be that in your life be that for everyone that's listening right. yeah you can it's strange how certain events certain people can just take you, pull you, and lock you into the moment. And like you said, when you're in that moment, when you're in the present moment, the moment itself holds infinite possibilities. It holds right. infinite potential. And that's where that's where our true being is. And someone told me before, um a previous guest I've had on this podcast who I really appreciate her insights and um, her sort of philosophy and she says that human beings today we are human doings not human beings we're always doing something in order to try and get to where we think we have to get to but it ties in very nicely because the term human being and when we actually are just being being present with someone holding space with someone and really sort of locking in with their energy and yeah, the law of entrainment. Your 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 vibration is interacting with theirs, and you're becoming
3: something greater for the two of you. That's where. Do Do you have time, or do we have time to speak about how we become human doings? Go ahead.
2: We can. We've got. We've got time, Jacob. But I put this one's on you. I'm. I'm. Uh, if you've got the time to go for it, we can. Uh, we can definitely shoot some shit on this. You know,
3: um, we do things because we think we have to, right? We don't know we have to, but we think we have to. And I think means I don't know. When I think it's going to rain, it doesn't mean I know it's going to rain. Now, how do we get here? When we're born, we have no idea of whether we're male or female. We don't know whether we're Christian or Jew or Muslim. We don't know whether our skin is white or black or some shade in between. We don't know. That the person opposite us is our mother because we don't know that we exist. All there is is isness. There is no differentiation. We live in oceanic bliss. Why is that? Because we are hardwired with no preferences. We come into the world with no preferences. Now, babies just respond. They don't initiate anything. They don't do anything. So, when it's time to eat, something in the baby makes a sound, and that sound communicates to the mother that the baby needs to be nursed. After the baby has eaten or consumed food, sooner or later, it may need to urinate or it may need to defecate. And it just does. There's no thought, should I or shouldn't I? It just occurs. And that's fine for a period of time, but there's a certain point where humans think That kids should stop that. In other words, stop being natural. So the moment that the little boy or the little girl starts to have a bowel movement, the parent picks him up and says, no, you can't do that. And runs to the toilet, seats them on the toilet. He says, this is where you do that. You have to wait till you get here. And so the child, all of a sudden, for the first time, their naturalness is confronted by the world's normalness. And something becomes aware that natural is not normal. Hmm. And when somebody shocks you when you're in the midst of just emptying your bowels and says, no, you can't do that your whole body tightens up and literally contracts. Your whole being contracts in order to control, in this case, your bowels. And what you learn through this repeated process, which is called conditioning, is that in order to be accepted in order to do our best to guarantee safety, security, and predictability, I have to watch every action that's natural and make a decision at the speed of light. Is this going to be beneficial or not? And so what emerges from the repeated incident, like what I just mentioned, is a little voice inside that says, you better not do that. You'll get into trouble. And so what occurs through experience is we develop a monitoring mechanism, which is sometimes referred to as the conscious mind or ego that chatterer inside something that monitors everything we do and intercedes in hopes of creating safety, security, and predictability three things that have never existed on the planet. Hmm. And so the doing, which is all the ego does is do Is an attempt, is an internal rehearsal in an attempt to guarantee that the results will feel pleasant rather than unpleasant. And it's all aimed at one thing I want your approval. I want your approval rather than your disdain. So all the doing is a function of the conditioning that we not only had from the time of our birth, but the conditioning of our ancestors throughout time because this is passed on in the fields that we are born into. And so we've become so accustomed to this that we believe that we are this voice. So we refer to this place as, oh, this is my mind, my point of view. I don't mind it. I can change my mind. And we believe that that is the source of the decision making in our lives. But that's not true. You see, when you are seeing me, in your monitor, you know that you're sitting in the UK and I'm in Maui and you're seeing a virtual representation of me. You know that you are seeing me, that you are not me because there's a distance, yes? The reason we are aware of the mind churning and chattering, and worrying, and doing all these things that we intellectually like to call thinking, but they're really just worrying most of the time. The reason we're aware of this is because the real we, the real field of awareness that our essence is, is observing it. It is the thing we call God that we think is outside of us, that sees everything, knows everything, and is everywhere at the same time. Ralph Waldo Emerson described this so beautifully. He said, There's a principle underlying all things. It's a simple, undescribed, undescribable presence residing silently within us. We are not here to do, but to let do, not to work, but to be worked upon. He's describing that silent observer that notices all that is. The reason there is so much pain in the world, so much of it, is because we think we are the ideas that traverse the mind, that are all a functioning of conditioning, when in actuality we are that which is noticing the activity of the mind. And that noticer, by the way, does not speak. It has no voice. It does not have a point of view. It does not have desire. All it is is a field of awareness that notices all. Mm -hmm. So if you hear a voice, it's not this place. This place just arrives silently, and all of a sudden you say, oh my God, where did that come from? It's a flash of insight. And what it is, is that we become aware of the light that is touching all of ourselves and guiding them through the journey they need to go through in life.
2: And so how do we, well, I guess this is kind of like self-answering, saying how do we connect with this observer, but then... In effort of trying to connect, you're then actively doing instead of just... writing.
3: Right. All one needs to do is notice. You see, we're so busy listening to the chatter and interacting with it internally that this other place that's actually noticing it, we're not even aware of it. Awareness is curative. Merely seeing something causes it to change. You don't need to do something for it to change. You just need to see it differently. So by sharing this, people can begin to notice. Ramana Maharshi, probably the greatest sage to emerge from India, um, used to have a process called self-inquiry, which was his way of helping his students discover this place. And self-inquiry went like this. He said, "Whenever you are, you notice a thought, silently ask yourself." who had this thought? And as soon as you ask, who had this thought, most of the time you'll hear, I did, or me. And then you silently ask the next question, who am I? And when you ask, who am I, something profound occurs. Everything just silences. There's a profound, infinite quiescence. Everything just stops. Why? Because your essence is everything that is just silently observing. And so that was Ramana Maharshi's way of uncovering this place. My work in the world is essentially helping people to uncover this place by helping to gradually assist them in desensitizing themselves from all the habitual emotional triggers in their life that transform their ease to dis-ease. Essentially, if we could become comfortable with the aspects of our life that used to feel uncomfortable or trigger stress in our lives, our lives would quiet down. We would naturally be here rather than everywhere else. So the process is about noticing the aspects of life that we chronically have allergic reactions to see when we think of an allergy we think of oh i ate the wrong thing or i went by poison oak and i got a rash most of our allergies are not related to foods or airborne substances or plants they're related to the people and experiences in our life That are unresolved, and so we have allergic reactions to them whenever we encounter them. Some part of us gets angry, gets triggered, wants to react, and so on. That's the source of our dis ease, that's the source of the stress that's responsible for 90% of our disease. How do we find ourselves receding from this state? by gradually um, desensitizing from these triggers. And I have found a way of doing that with light, specifically with color, because i found that the colors that we like are related vibrationally to the experiences that we're able to embrace easily. And the colors that we don't like are vibrationally the underpinnings of the unresolved issues in our life that trigger us, that catalyze stress. And so I have found a way of utilizing color to gradually assist someone in desensitizing from these triggers so in essence we begin living a full-spectrum life, if you will. And this is work that I started to develop in the very late 70s that I've utilized with myself, with my kids, with tens of thousands of individuals. And so my work today when I'm not speaking or writing is I mentor individuals. I work with a small number of people who I incorporate uh, these things that I have learned through direct experience. And over time, you used the word entrainment before. Over time, we are both entrained into something more than we were.
2: Mm, Yeah. One of the things, just to sort of tie this one up, Jacob, um, I don't know if this was something that I had read from yourself, or heard from yourself or from someone else, but it ties in very closely to what you were saying then when you were using your sort of, um, when you were describing the phototherapy, color therapy, uh, what it was that I heard that you could I'd be wondering if you could give a little bit of a, um, a rundown on just to finish up is that the colors in which we inherently dislike or have discomfort with. Yeah more so or not relate to the colors associated with the certain uh, chakras in our body that are underdeveloped or we have stagnant energy within those energy centers that's my work that's your work ah thought it was i just didn't i didn't i didn't want to say oh yeah i remember you saying
3: this and you'd be like it wasn't me um, See what yeah. I what I found is <clears throat> if someone is uncomfortable, let's say with red and orange, I usually find that they also have issues <clears throat> in their first two chakras, the chakras that are associated with those colors. My senses that the portions of the light spectrum that we perceive as those colors are the portions that actually energize those parts of our being. Not only those parts of our physicality, but those parts of our development as well. And so I came to that empirically. You know, I didn't see this written anywhere. I just started to notice it after working with thousands of people. I said, Oh my God, this is really interesting. So yeah, this is work that, has been developing since the late seventies for me, um, and and this is what I incorporate in uh, in the work that I do with individuals.
2: Yeah, I f- I find it fascinating when I read about it, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, it's like that can make perfect sense. It, it could explain so much of the, um, yeah, just that that subconscious subprogramming. Yeah. To uh, what pe- how people react to colors, and it's still one of those yeah. things that people don't appreciate today. Like they're just li- little little triggering points in people's lives where they see a color, right. and it and it either has a positive effect or a negative effect on them. But then that can directly correlate to their own state of being within, yeah, within their own sort of energetic bodies within the subtle energies in the in their body and what that how that manifests. In their, you see, uh, it's
3: not it's not actually the color, the color is, is it the vibration is our perception of a specific portion of vibration within the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah. So it's the vibration, the energy that for whatever reason we're not resonant with. <clears throat> but hmm. when that resonance occurs, and what used to feel uncomfortable. Now feels comfortable, it takes us deeper into that state of awareness and expansion that we're all looking for.
2: Excellent. Yeah. Just tied up some loose ends in my head because I was, uh, where I was like thinking of that one for a while. And then, yeah, just with what you're saying, then you brought up your work with the colors. Yeah. It's all tied in. Very synchronistic. So, uh, yeah, Jacob um it's we're gonna have to tie this one up and thank you for your time you've given me a little bit more time than i was expecting from you and i really did appreciate this one and it's interesting because it's like you said although you might not want to take credit for it the words that come from you are just wise words words from someone who's walked the walk this life and really uh can really can really uh, hit some hard-hitting truths with what you say. And it's great for the younger generation, such as myself and people that are listening. Just And to, me too. Yeah, just for everyone involved, <laughs> everyone. Just uh, just to listen, listen to what you've got to say. And I'm sure everyone that's listening, you've got the same effect as I've had listening to you, where it's it doesn't always have to be scientific. Like this, the scientific mentality, that paradigm is something that's been, like you said, conditioned and programmed into us from the late 19th century, but there's truths that are immortal and eternal in nature. And when you hear them, it doesn't have to have a scientific explanation to it. You listen to it and it resonates on a level that no, no scientific journal paper, like with who's who. Uh, as the lead researcher on it, telling you this and that with all the references, all the peer-reviewed studies attached to it, there's something much deeper than that. And it's uh, yeah, just listening to you today, it's been great. And it's uh, a lot of the stuff you've been saying is really tied together a lot, a lot of uh, loose ends that I've had in my own sort of inquisitive nature on yeah, my pursuit for truth. And this is what you we're doing this for.
3: Science is very important. But it is no more important than direct experience. Direct experience is really life-changing. What the scientist may gain by looking through a microscope or a telescope, Mm -hmm. the mystic might gain the same thing, maybe even deeper, through the process of meditation, through the process of just noticing. So we have to respect insights from all different angles. It's not one or the other, it's all of it. We gain all of it. And, you know, it's about coming to a place where we're not against things, but we see that everything has its place. Mm -hmm. it's been a pleasure i really appreciated our time today and i hope we'll be able to do this again in the future yeah
2: for sure i'd love to get you on and just to tie in with what you said then with the uh with that direct experience and this is one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite guys manly p hall and he Mm -hmm. said that um experiences are the chemicals in which the philosopher experiments with and for me that's what it's really about that it's that direct experience which, when you think of your body as a cauldron, your spirit as the base metal, these experiences are the chemicals in which, when mixed correctly, can really create that gold. and for me, those experiences are so much more important than, hey, some scientific journal that tells me this and tells me that tells me the truth truth seekers yeah. are all about the experience, and uh yeah. Again, Jacob, I appreciate your time. Just last thing to finish off, for everyone that's been listening and really enjoyed what you've had to say, where can they find more of Dr. Jacob Lieberman? Where can they find more of you?
3: Um, They can visit my website, which is jacoblieberman.org, O-R-G, and Lieberman is spelled L-I-B as in boy, E-R-M-A-N, they can follow me on Facebook. Uh, my site is not a marketing site. We're not trying to sell anything. We just hope, looking to share whatever wisdom we can that can be of help to people. Uh, if in, if people are interested in the color work that I mentioned, um, the I've developed a a kit to do that work with. It's called the spectral receptivity system that's written about on the site as well. And other than that, I'm just grateful for this wonderful time together today.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. And uh, I'll put everything in the show notes with where to get you. One last thing. Um, I know that you're not that sort of guy to do a sales plug or anything like that, but for people that are interested in your work and want a, introduction to your work and they enjoy reading what book of yours would be the best one to start with because you've got quite a few so what would be your sort of go the most one? recent one the most, the most
3: recent, recent one. one it's called luminous life how the science of light unlocks the art of living okay and Signed. it's available through amazon and bookstores and so on in the uk as well
2: all right, so there we have it, people. That's episode 31 of the Red Bull Hour coming to a close. Jacob, thank you for coming on. Guys, as always, you know how it is now. Stay woke as fuck, and I'll catch you next time.